2: And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here as well. Thank you, gentlemen, for filling in for me the last couple of days. I can verify for you the swamp eats well. They they are fed well over there in District One. The meal, the buffet I had at the Capitol Hill Club and I just decided, you know what, man, I, I'm not going to do this very often. I kept up with my workout schedule as best as I could while I was there. So I was still active, you know? So I just decided... It's on. It's on. Let's go for it, man. So, I mean, I pounded pounded some calories. I I, I have to say, the hardest decision I've made so far this year, which was which massive slice of cake to get at the dessert table at the Capitol Hill Club Buffet. I mean, I, I, I just... Mine was blown, man. I I stood there for a good five minutes, paralyzed by fear that I would choose the wrong one. <laughs> well, well, Steve, just get one of each. These pieces were monstrous. I couldn't have fit. I, I more than one would not have fit on a plate, right? And so you get. I mean, it's DC, so you know extravagance and decadence are kind of baked into the cake, pardon the pun. But I wasn't sure I could like walk away with like four plates, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, I, it was a tough call because they also had, you guys know, what's my favorite food? Do you guys remember? It's, um, I'm very, it's I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed it's right
0: now. Well, I'm disappointed I'm that the Klump's. answer is some kind of dessert. <laughs> And it's not
1: succulent uh, pink steak.
0: It's not vinegar. It's
2: not a, a cheese curd dipped in vinegar. Uh, my favorite food on this planet warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. See? And they had this plate of warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies that were massive. I mean, you had to hold this thing with two hands to eat it. So I was already going to get one of those. All right, so I was going to get a piece of cake to fit on top of the cookie, which is just nice and flat there on the plate.
0: <laughs> I could just hear our audience huddled around and coming back. Steve's back. I can't, can't wait to hear, like, is there any shred of optimism? To come? Guys, he's talking about cake and cookies. What is going on? <laughs> cake and cookies? This is what we've got?
2: <laughs> it, was, it was a tough decision, man. I mean, I was sweating it. And then I was, I, after it was over, I was like up till 3 a.m. Man, I was, I was ready. Nice sugar high. But uh, the swamp eats well. Um, Glad to be back. Could not live there. I'm not moving there or to New York until someone comes to me and says, it's unemployment or this. It will take that. You know, it's a a nice place to visit. Amy and I had a nice moment outside the Capitol Hill Club waiting for the people, because their members were not, obviously, who invited us to dinner. And we were waiting outside for them to arrive. And it's night, and it was beautiful weather. It's just getting hot there now. Where is the Capitol Hill Club? Right outside the Capitol. It's it on Capitol Hill. Yeah, it's right outside the Capitol. And so at night, as we're standing there, it's getting to be sundown, waiting for dinner. It's dusk. And the Supreme Court and the Capitol sure. Dome, it's all beautiful. lit up. And Amy and I just kind of looked at each other and said, we are a long way from the mail room at Wellmark, Blue Cross, Blue yeah. Shield, in downtown Des Moines. You did know?
1: the uh, In the background, did the... Uh the theme to House of cards start playing
2: <laughs> No, but it was um, it it is fascinating watching people kind of go about there. And you wonder how how much are they judging us, and how much are we judging them back? You know what I'm saying? How much? of this is real. How much of this is real? I'll give you an example. Give you an example. On our flight out to D.C., we sat behind a couple of millennials uh, and a guy and a girl and I only got to hear what they were talking about because they talked so loud that I could not help myself. And this guy, it sounded to me like he was a Democratic operative. I hate Iowa. He's from originally from Iowa, but I only come here like once a year to see family. I hate it. It's a backwards place. I don't like it. You know, we're too white. He's a white male, of course. Uh, we're we're too white, homophobic. We hate immigrants. You know, I, I, we've heard all these arguments, right? And my wife, and it is taking all of my resolve not to take my belt off and teach that young man a lesson right Why there on the plane. Why didn't you? Okay, My wife's literally holding my arm, you know, and because I'm already ticked because the woman ahead of me in the seat put her seat all the way back so I could not read my Athlon's college football preview magazine without like holding it up here because she literally was in, she could have turned around and, you know, beer bonged me. I mean, that's how, I mean, she was literally in my lap. So I'm already, it's already lit. It is as lit as the Gadsden Mall right now, okay? So I'm, I'm on tilt. I'm, I'm ready for someone to strike a match. Someone needs to pay for this, all right? And I'm listening to this conversation behind me, and I'm listening to this young man fulfill every snowflake millennial stereotype on this flight out to D.C. And right when I was about to just turn around and show him the back of me hand, the conversation turns and he starts talking about difficulties in his family and family dysfunction. Um, I think he mentioned a sister that has only had, beginning with their dad, men treat her badly and so she's had a whole bunch of bad relationships. In other words, I'm listening to a guy's story once it gets personal is not much different than my own. And After going, after transitioning, pardon the pun, from feeling as if someone needs to teach this young man some manners. When we got to him as a human being, as a person, kind of felt that still small voice in the back of my head say, maybe someone needs to teach you some manners, young man. Yeah, I kind of felt a little conviction right there. You know, like I was guilty of the exact same snap rash judgments that we accuse the beltway of having of the rest of the country right and that really jacked with me the whole time I was there like I found myself people watching um, and just asking myself how many of these people if we took away the trappings of power that exist here in this town that feed the worst parts of the human ego and we just sat down and we were just people how much different would those conversations be further away from these relics you know what I'm trying to say I do but you're not optimistic
0: but this is really weird because you're having these kind of epiphanies after coming from the swamp yeah this is odd I this is a couple times today where you've had, the optimism has been oozing out of you after a trip to DC. So I I do you think
2: that's optimistic?
0: I or think is so it, or is it
2: more just a benefit of the doubt?
0: I just uh or a, or a desire, beating...
2: you know, let me put it um, I hate the Jesus joke, yeah. Uh, is it really just in my in, in as best as I imperfectly can cuz it's not my natural mm-hmm. instinct. Am I just trying to love my neighbor as I love myself? Am I, am I trying to say, I'd like you to give me the benefit of the doubt that just because I'm from Iowa, I lived my whole lot, most of my life in the Midwest, except for little stints in Florida and California when I was little, but I've lived most of my life in the Midwest. And if I have different opinions and, of the, and values than you, it doesn't mean I'm some uninvolved, un, you know, unevolved troglodyte. Don't immediately prejudge me. And maybe it's a recognition that I've done some of that that I wouldn't want people to do to me I've done some of that to them that's all
0: well that that's really good and healthy self reflection but I'm just I'm fresh on the heels of you know being uh, all of us uh, by association being charged with high crimes and misdemeanors for eating chicken sandwiches man so you know yeah. I just, that's
1: true I think that I th- if you ask me what I think about your observation that must have been some really really good cake, cake.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes yes
2: yeah in other words, you got out of there just in time, yeah. man. We, we, here's, what, here's what you learned. Even Dace can only take about 48 hours in that place, and then he gone. He gone. Don't ever send him there for, for, for more than two, a two-night stay. Otherwise, it was nice. It was nice knowing you. You will be. Even Steve Dace, who is a natural conformist, non-conformist, if anything else, even Steve Dace, you will be assimilated. Is that what we're learning here? Resistance is futile?
0: It's, well, it, that's like the one reason I want to run for office now. Every other that re- Just to see if you can stand up to it? Yes. That's the only reason, though. Not to actually make a difference, because I don't think anybody can anymore. Yeah,
2: I'd really lower your expectations yeah. where that's concerned.
0: <laughs> make a difference? Good grief, who do you think you are?
2: <sighs> well, we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. It's the Dace Group Roundtable. So I'd urge our audience, if you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, you want to check that out. We get into all the topics we didn't get a chance to discuss as a team while I was gone. So we get into uh, yesterday's Inspector General report release. We get into the North Korean summit. We get into Tuesday's primary results where we see one guy who is a staunch conservative get defeated because he's not a a Trump fluffer. And another guy, we really don't know what he believes, win a Senate primary because he is a Trump fluffer, right? So we talked about all of that. And we all didn't always agree, right? So you want to definitely check it out today. CRTV.com, if you're not yet a subscriber, go there now. Use my name as a promo code, D-E-A-C-E. That'll get you a discounted subscription. And what's that mean? What's that discount mean? Well, let me monetize it, itemize it for you. A quarter a day, about 25 cents a day will get you access to our show and Mark Levin and all the great shows we do each day here exclusively exclusively at CRTV CRTV CRTV.com promo code DACE All right, you guys ready let's get to a little feedback Friday let's start this is from Irene Tease in Detchard Tennessee go Vols second best college fight song next to the Victors of course Rocky Top I freaking love Rocky Top which is not technically their fight song is That Rocky Mountain High, Tennessee. Be. Yeah, I love yeah. Rocky Top. Love it. Checkered board end zones. Love Neyland Stadium. I think it's the most beautiful football stadium in the country, actually. And I'm saying that as a Michigan fan. Anyway, she wrote me this note a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to run it by you guys. You know, it, we had this long conversation all of last year about what's conservatism actually mean coming out of the 2016 election, right? She writes, I define conservatism as I think St. Paul might. Prove all things, hold fast to what is good. Paul's words to the Thessalonians in his first letter to the church there in Thessalonica. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. In other words, that which has proven to be good. Right? Because you've heard me talk about before, conservatism isn't an ideology, it's an observational science. Conservatives aren't philosophers. It's an action verb. We're conservationists. We are looking down through history at that which the Creator has revealed to be noble, just, virtuous, beautiful, and true for His creation, and we seek to conserve those things for this and future generations. I really... I, I there, there, This doesn't lead to any point that's germane to what's in, you know trending today, but I really just liked Irene's observation. I thought it was eloquent, pithy. I thought it was a bullseye. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I think that's, like you just said, a bullseye, because... Uh, I was going to go exactly where where you went, Um, whereas this is not some sort of um, man-made ideology that cropped up in history at one point. It is just looking at the way something behaves, in this case humans, and then deriving from that what... um, What in the framework of what we know to be good and bad, what has worked best for human behavior through the ages, and that's what conservatism is it's conserving that which is good.
0: I'd add one caveat. There's a, when you're talking about government, though, the definition of good is not, does not perfectly overlap the definition of good within the church. The definition of good within the church is more uh, uh, platonic, uh, more absolutist uh, within government. Um, It is, by definition, more Aristotelian, more pragmatic, more the golden mean. Um, So that's the uh, only—we have to talk about what is good because good government, from a conservative point of view, um, must allow for a sort of live and let live philosophy from where— a church to, to avoid
2: tyranny we have to yes. tolerate a certain level of acknowledgement of what human behavior is. Yes. Because the the people that we would put in place to stamp out every vestige of human behavior yes. we find appalling them in and of themselves right. bring the same frailties and yes. sinfulness to the table yes. which means all we're just doing is an empowering a different group of sinners. Yes. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. So there's a there's a tension that we have to always yeah. acknowledge there.
0: And you've talked about before this is why the setup as envisioned by the founders and the relationship between church and state mm-hmm. was about as perfectly... But the conce- church is a
2: transcendent institution. It is well, that's not, my point. Right. That's, it's,
0: it's not... As is good from a right. eternal point when of
2: view. When it operates the way it's supposed to, it is not supposed to be... Um, exposed or sensitive to what are the fads, the the mores, the trends of the day. It is supposed to stand athwart yes. from those things and be a reminder of that which is yes. cosmically and universally transcendent and true, right? Yes. Okay, I agree. That's that's well said. That's a pretty eloquent articulation of, of uh, Augustinian theology there by our, our resident Catholic you know here on the panel. Yeah. Well done. Do my best. Okay. Um, Not city of man, but for a layman, not bad. Uh, let's go next to David Peterson. I really enjoy you guys' shows and your podcasts, especially Theology Thursdays. I want you to know, and I'm getting a lot more of these. That's why I'm reading this one, okay? I just received an alert inside the Facebook app that Facebook will be cracking down on fake news. What effect do you think this will have on CRTV, its commentators, and the like? Uh, one of the, there were two reasons I went to uh, DC this week. Uh, one was we got some exciting things coming up here on uh, CR with, with us and CRTV and the future you're going to learn about. I thought we were going to announce those things in May. I kind of teased it, but you know, we're getting there. It's coming up in the next couple of weeks. You're going to hear more about that. So I needed to meet with some of the production people and technical people at CRTV to get all that stuff finalized. The other reason was to um, have our PR firm that represents us at CRTV, get me in front of, you know, some prominent conservative websites, just kind of do a publicity tour, get to know your thing, blah, 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 blah. And, I sat down with a guy, one of the sit downs I had uh, at a coffee shop outside the Capitol with a guy with a very, very, very well known conservative website. All right. And he was talking about and sharing with me some specifics about how online media in general, but conservative media in particular hemorrhaging because of uh, what Facebook is doing right now with their content which goes to what the guy that founded the Babylon Bee was talking about, right? He didn't want to do a product that was beholden to gatekeepers anymore about what they were going to tolerate being disseminated and whatnot. I I just go back to this over and over again, and I don't understand it. I'm sure there's a valid reason for it somewhere, but it just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense that about three to four months ago, CRTV started a whole separate page for, for us to air video clips on Facebook Watch and it's pushing 25,000 followers in about 90 to 120 days. And yet, my Facebook page, my public page, I've had between 106,000 and 107,000 likes for 2 years. That does that doesn't make any sense. It it just it doesn't make any sense. And what I learned with this conversation I had with this gentleman at this coffee shop in DC, my story is not alone. This is going on industry wide, you know, and so more and more of you are emailing me saying, "Hey, your stuff's not showing up in my newsfeed and everything anymore," you know. So, on one hand, I guess we're flattered that we got enough on the radar that they they uh, felt as if they needed to, uh, you know, pimp slap us a little bit. We're good enough to be shunned. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so we're get, there's, I'm, so I'm I'm kind of happy at that, you know. On one hand, um, on the other hand, I'm very. I'm very angry and very ticked off and frustrated by that, you know? So, and I'm not really sure what, you know, there's gurus and mavens you can hire that know all the algorithms, but Facebook hasn't even settled on what their new algorithms are gonna be with this new uh, makeover and renovation they're doing. So, I'm happy to invest resources into uh, trying to... uh, Change that more to our favor when the time comes. But a lot of media in general, but conservative media in particular, industry wide, really feels like it's kind of in a nebulous no man's land right now where Facebook is concerned.
1: Yes. And I would also add, just as an aside, if you are one of the people who is like, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, I'm listening to the podcast and I think I've liked Steve's page, um, but I don't recall seeing anything from him recently. You not not only have to like the page, you have to now follow it follow as well. It, yeah. So if you haven't done that yet, and you remember seeing Steve's content, you know years ago uh, in your in your own news feed, now you can go uh, to Steve's page, uh, like it if you haven't already, and then hit follow. And then I think there's even a third option where you can like favorite the page to make sure it comes up first in your news feed. It's too complicated and too clunky and at this point honestly as a further aside i hope they keep making it more clunky and more hard to follow and harder to understand because eventually they're going to crash themselves the more or the less user friendly they make it uh and then something can fill the fill in the void uh, from that but right now yeah there's there's no explanation why we've been sitting at 106,000 likes for years
2: yeah eventually you're right It'll be time for Uncle Bingo to pay the check. But until that eventuality, they're causing a lot of us to crash industry-wide. So this is one of the biggest things uh, facing and threatening our industry right now is this conversation. Um, Angela writes, I like what Project Veritas is doing going after the educrats. I recognize the problems posed by two powerful teachers, unions, and school board administrators. I live in Baltimore, and we pay a fortune and get very little for it where where education is concerned. But I also think there's a place for public education. Not all parents can afford to send their kids to private school or are able to homeschool. My mother dropped out of school in the eighth grade to work so her family could eat. All of her siblings dropped out as well. I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. Okay? So... I literally grew up with my mama. Literally. I grew up with my mom. I, re- I remember my mom getting carded for cigarettes at skating parties when I was in elementary school. All right. I remember my mama getting carded for buying beer when I was in high school. So I get this conversation. Um, they literally lived in a hole in the ground with a roof and a hearth. Literally dirt poor. Later in life, she worked as a seamstress and waitressing, truck driving, and retail, bartending, and other low-end jobs. She supported me in school, but she could have never afforded to pay for it. Wouldn't have been capable of teaching me herself or been able to afford to quit working even if she could teach me. We barely had enough to get by. I needed that public education. If it had been paid for... Uh, if it had to be paid for, I wouldn't have received it. I would have been trapped in poverty. I think I've paid society back for that investment in time. So I think there needs to be a public option. One, on what Angela's articulating is, is why I've angered some of my own fellow homeschoolers, because I won't go militant on this front. I'm a huge advocate of it. I, I can't be more of an advocate of homeschooling than this is what we've done with our own children. I, I, I don't know what more I can do to endorse something other than exposing my own children to it. All right? I mean, flesh of my flesh, fruit of my loin, literally my legacy are my kids. Okay? I, I'd kill for them. That being said, there are economic realities that I'm sensitive to having grown up in that environment myself that Angela is articulating. That I think the worst thing we can do is shame parents who feel like they have no other option. Now, I have no problem shaming parents who do have other options. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with them punting, letting the schools essentially hold their kids' brain and soul hostage when there's no excuse for that. They have the living to do so. They have the attention span to do something about it. I have no problem crushing them. But I also think, Angela, there's a distinction between government education and public education. By and large, except for a few pockets, mostly in rural places in America, public education doesn't exist anymore. It is government education. Top down, pressed together, shaken over, distilled from on high by the educrats, including the teacher, including very much the teacher unions. The model of the public school where the school board decided the curriculum. The school board hired and fired teachers based on merit. The school board was served on by parents who had them, their own children in the schools at the time that's that's what a lot of people who are nostalgic for America's public education system that's what they think is going on here and in the vast majority it's simply not this is a educratic racket it is the statist youth ministry just because I'm not willing to shame people who can't afford to not send their kids there doesn't mean I'm going to let people off the hook about what's actually taking place corporately either. All right? On this show, we anticipate an audience that can walk and chew gum. I agree there should be a public option. Our founders, was one of the first things they ever established, in fact, was, was one of the primary means of taking a census of the people was via the public education system. George Washington felt public education was the antidote to tyranny from government. Government education is the morphine drip of tyranny from the government. And that's what we're doing today. Let me give you an example since we're on this topic. Aaron and I were just having this conversation before we started the podcast. So I got done with a bunch of our meetings uh, on Wednesday. The rest of my afternoon was clear, so I had time to take the wife to see some of the sites. Number one on her list because we're both big history files. We went to the Smithsonian's Museum of American History. We were there for two to three hours. By the way, if you ever go, like I'm a big IMAX theater. I love IMAX movies. Theirs is terrible. Don't waste the money. We actually walked out in the middle of it. It was a waste of time. Okay. Rest of the Smithsonian though, incredible. I mean, to sit there and look at the chair George Washington used to read in at the side of his bed. To look at the top hat Abe Lincoln was wearing the night he was shot to death at Ford Theater. I mean, to 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 see these relics of American history in person, um, and you know, Amy coming from a military brat family, they had a a, a salute to veterans display, special exhibit, um, temporary exhibit there from the rep from the French and Indian War with the colonists all the way to today's modern conflicts with Islamic radicalism, just emotional, stirring, kind of felt like World War I got shortchanged. There was like one display for them, you know, but other than that, it was just awesome. They, it's also the, getting to the end of the school year in D.C., and so the local kids were given a wing of the Smithsonian, and a bunch of the school kids were there that day. They were given a wing at the Smithsonian to put together their own displays. These are high school kids. Let me tell you what their displays were. The LGBTQ launching of at the Stonewall riots, which is basically urban legend, frankly. Okay, propaganda. Um, It was it was it was it was hammer and sickle stuff, guys. All social justice warrior stuff. So you've got all these. You've got this incredible museum with all these vestiges and homages to traditional Americanism, and I like the fact it doesn't hide are warts the things we got wrong with slavery and things of that nature. But it is is honestly presented on display there at the Smithsonian. Reagan is acknowledged for ending the Cold War. Doesn't pull any punches. I was pleasantly surprised because I went in there thinking, is this really going to piss me off? Then you went to the school kids where they are simply reflecting back that which they were taught. And it is a rebuke of the rest of the museum. I don't know how else to put it. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a rebuke. It was sad, really. Just sad. That's that generational apocalypse I'm warning you about right there. They don't really understand or were taught and therefore don't believe corporately any of the assumptions and premises that are represented in the rest of that museum. It's like It's like what they chose to highlight was another country.
0: That's because it is.
2: And that's because it is. And you know what's funny is there, was actually, there, there there's like the democracy project there and so there's specific wings of uh, dedicated to women, uh, minorities, LGBT. But what's funny is when we went through those displays it was about how these demographics contributed to Americana. That's different. That's different, okay? That's Martin Luther King Jr. quoting from the founding documents and pounding the lectern and saying, we want our, we want that. We should get a cut of that. Those words there in that Declaration of Independence, where's our share of that inheritance? We want into that, okay? That's what that is to me when I see that stuff. What was over in the kid's wing with all of their displays is a rejection of that. It's a repudiation. They don't want that. It's another country they want. It, you're literally, and, and and you know what's funny is when you watched them behave, they had all the same annoyances and brilliances and adorable idiosyncrasies of any other American kid of that age. But inside the mind, they have been indoctrinated with anti-American propaganda. And the big debate that was going on in the D.C. schools that was all over the news while we were there, was changing the sex ed curriculum to include the tranny crossdresser agenda they've been worked over guys and barring a supernatural event occurring in their lives they're gone guys gone by and large oh there'll be a few stragglers that are that might stumble into a young americans for freedom speech by a ben shapiro but for every one or two of those there's 500 tell me I'm wrong, Aaron this is no you, this is you're, I'm one generation behind you. For every person Crowder reaches standing on that on those street corners with those bands that say tell me I'm wrong right For everyone and I, by the way, I want Steve to do more of that. I hope he does that the rest of his life. That's freaking brilliant. I just think we need to understand though for every one of those young people Stephen Steven is meeting on their own turf. We're losing 500 to the school districts. We can't compete. It's just simple numbers. We don't have the machinery. We need, we need 10,000 Steven Crowders doing that to compete with that. Not one guy. And that's what I mean. The machine. They're gone, guys. Gone. Unless there's revival or a supernatural event, generationally they are already gone. As Ken Ham over there at the Creation Museum says. Already gone. And you saw it the day we were there at the Smithsonian. All these homages to America and Americana. No w- warts and all. What we were wrong about, what we were right about, warts and all. The debate over, the, over preemptive war and Islamic radicalism post-9-11 presented objectively both sides. And then there's the wing where the kids have their say. And it's, 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 it's basically Das Vandanya comrades. Gone. The
0: the contrast was stark. You couldn't help it. Notice it, Todd. Here's what I know about this. Uh, I've as long as I can remember. I remember having debates about the merits of homeschooling when I was in high school. Uh, and then all uh, all four of my daughters uh, start off uh, in uh, Catholic school. Ultimately, you know, once I found. Uh, The woman I would marry and the particular uh, family work dynamic that we had, uh, homeschooling wasn't going to be a viable uh, option uh, for us. And then once I was within that particular option, I saw that the law of diminishing returns, the older kids got within Catholic education, and it became an elite, elite prep school. The closer uh the further you get into it uh in many respects uh and in some ways uh not a good one so in the middle of elementary school all of my daughters go into public school we have a f- a fairly r- rural school that uh our school district in the suburbs of des moines that my kids go to so there is definitely a buffer in terms of the the kind of uh the families, their expectations, we're not in the uh, inside of Des Moines where you're, it's it's liberalism writ large. So that's, uh, that's the balance we made. I, that being said, I know this. There are patriotic parents, God-fearing parents, country-loving parents producing the same in their children that are coming out of homeschooling and Christian schooling and public schooling. It's all possible, and it starts with the man and the woman who are raising their children, uh, which is why I am the same way as Steve, uh, uh, and I think that's abundantly clear in the way I've described this. Uh, I, uh, I'll, I will go and complain about the teen years, teachers' unions as hard as any group I can think of, but, uh, I yeah, I'm not. My life is not. Uh, uh, made to uh, be centered around making people like this letter writer feel guilty for doing the best she can.
1: Completely agree and well said. And uh, that's one area where I've kind of, I don't want to say changed my thinking, but I've become less uh, married to the idea that homeschooling is the only way. Uh, it's still my default setting. As far as what I would like to do with my kids, but growing up and knowing more people and seeing how um, God-fearing parents uh, deal with difficult issues and and deal with issues with their own kids, uh, it's not homeschooling or bust anymore. And again, it's all because of what Todd just pointed out. You can make a choice to be involved with your kids' education no matter where they go. That and that's uh, it. Does require sacrifice, whether or not it's homeschooling, or whether it's not, or whether or not it's act- actively uh, figuring out what the heck your kids are learning in school. Um, that is that is um, that is a, a great point by Todd.
2: Next, uh, this is sorry, I clicked out on my email. Here we go. This is from Rocco Borgetti. We've got a question concerning our current state of society, culture, and its relationship to God. We've seen in the last 50 years massive middle fingers to God, vehement vehement denial of his authority between the rainbow jihad, as you call it, the affront to religious liberties, and cultural persecutions. Um, At what point do you think in our culture it becomes so wayward that God intervenes? This isn't to say like the second coming, nor is it meaning some biblical type of intervention. But when does he say enough is enough and correct to the course we are on? I love your show. Listen to it every day. Uh, and it's wonderful that you guys are talking to people about truth and show conviction in our feckless culture. Rocco, thank you for the note. Let me, let me respond to your question with a question of my own. What leads you to believe he's not? Don't fall into the trap, my friend, that if the outcome of what is occurring isn't what I foresaw it to be, or even what I would prefer it to be, that can't mean God is not at work. From a Christian perspective, the debate about whether Jesus is the Messiah was a uniquely Jewish argument, really, for about the first century plus of the history of the church. It was largely one group of Jews, Peter, Paul, James, rest of the apostles, arguing that he was, with a larger group of Jews arguing that he was not. It was a uniquely Jewish argument. I mean... Christianity was such a Jewish religion. They argued about engaging Gentiles, and to what extent to engage Gentiles. One of the first real debates, meaning non-Jewish people, non-circumcised people, one of the first most vociferous debates in the church was was you know well if we're going to go to Syria, we're going to go to Damascus, and we're going to go to uh, Antioch. If we're going to if we're going to go to uh, to uh, to Greece. If we're going to go to these places, they don't eat like us. These men aren't circumcised, and I don't think there's a long line of middle-aged Jewish guys lining up to be the deacon that has the duty of circumcising the grown men. I don't think that was a widely prospected or competed-for job in the first century church, right? I mean, they had to call a council in Jerusalem. It was very divisive. To what extent do we need to make, we're Jewish This is, we believe this is our Jewish Messiah, the one, the son of David we've been waiting for. But, you know, Jesus said, quoting from the Old Testament, my house will be a house of prayer to all nations. His final command to us before his ascension was to go next, after we finish in Jerusalem and the Holy Land, to go next to Samaria, our neighbor, our immediate neighbor, but then go to the ends of the earth. Which means we're going to go to a lot of non-Jewish people. So how, how do we reconcile this? Do they have to have our dietary laws dressed like us? You know, they go to, I mean, do they have Sabbath observances? I mean, what does this look like? Because Jesus also said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So he didn't tell us to give up our Jew- Jewish uniqueness. On the other hand, uh, do we practice cultural conformity? Or religious identity, which is it? They had this debate themselves, trying to figure this out. And if you study the New Testament, one of the reasons there were a group of skeptics about whether Yeshua is the Messiah or not, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Who's this guy out here in the hinterlands wearing sackcloth and ash eating locusts and honey calling us out. We're the religious leaders. Where do you, I mean, where do you guys get... I'm sorry, uh, which rabbi did you learn from there, John? I don't, where are your credentials? What Hebrew school did you graduate from? I don't recall anyone here uh, in, the, in the church bestowing upon you any authority. And John's like, I got my authority from my God. You told me to preach this and that's what I'm going to do. So. And so really at the heart of this debate from an earthly standpoint is one group of people didn't have their assumptions fulfilled I guess is the way I would put it and I think this has been a constant temptation for humankind all throughout our history as a species is this notion that if god is not moving in the way we would anticipate or the outcome and the consequence of his movement is not what we would prefer, then it must mean it's not of God. I would like, let me affirmatively quote a non-Jesus-believing Jew from the New Testament. One of the wisest words spoken by a human being in all of the New Testament is Gamaliel, the great Jewish teacher. That tradition says Paul, that was yep. Paul's mentor. He himself is skeptic of this new sect of Judaism that is coming up, having been through all kinds of battles over this is the Messiah and this is the new movement. And so you can see why they had valid reasons to be very skeptical. They had been through many frauds at this time in their history. Not to mention, following Jesus' commandments was going to upset the political balance of power in that time period. So it was heavily risky. Lives were at stake. And if you think what I'm saying is radical, this is why Christians often faced persecutions. Their unwillingness to not give. See, Paul says to give the state honor when it's due. Honor is not the same as your undying allegiance, your worship. Honor is not the same. Honor is you are the king. There's no authority on earth except that which God has commanded. I will pay my taxes. I will obey your laws until you tell me I have to disobey God's law. And then the answer is no. I'm going to go full Maccabee on you. Well, we won't have a revolution, but I'm just going to simply say, no, I won't do that. I won't comply. This is why Paul was beheaded. This is why Peter was crucified upside down. They weren't insur- they, they did not practice insurrection like what you saw in the Maccabee Rebellion against the Ptolemies to restore the Jewish state, but they practiced, as Jews, they practiced civil disobedience against Caesar, and they lost their lives for it. They refused to bow and worship Caesar as God, and the state as Lord. Jesus was Lord. There's no God like Jehovah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, forever and ever, kingdom without end, amen. They would not bow the knee. so our belief system is meant to upset the status quo not affirm it our belief system begins with a savior raised from the dead who then raises us from the dead who takes dry bones and makes them live again who transforms us radically, changes what we see and what we seek. There's no way to do that that just kind of fits in, guys. So again, you go back to that first century illustration I'm drawing. Give give some of these men the... Maybe if you don't... I mean, I don't agree with them. I think Jesus is Messiah. But have empathy. Understand they had been through several internal and external threats to their to their faith. To the way. To God's law. Several posers they'd already been introduced to. Fake gods everywhere. Fake messiahs everywhere. So they had built in a pretty high threshold for if we go along with this, it's going to upset the whole political balance of power. And we kind of have this uneasy alliance with Rome right now they're letting us practice our faith provided we can keep the peace for the most part when we assume that god moves in the direction we anticipate we are not following in jesus and the disciples footsteps we're following in the footsteps of those who rejected jesus as the messiah this doesn't fulfill our assumptions. Listen to the words of Gamaliel. I have no idea whether or not this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. These men are, can, are, these, are these are good men or not. Here's what I know. Stand back. Watch what happens because if this is of God, we can't stop it anyway. That's, that's, some, that's some wisdom right there. Why are we in a hurry to be wrong? Why are we in a hurry to be on the wrong side of history is basically what he's saying. Why don't we just watch how this thing works itself out? And you know who said to watch how this thing works itself out? How Jesus did. Why do you not know the signs of the times? You know a tree by its fruit? Jesus said to watch how this thing works out. How do we know who's on our side? Well, a good tree can only produce good fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, but only bad fruit. That's all you'll know. You'll watch. You'll see. So, I will tell you this, I am as confident as I have been in my entire career, Rocco, that God is absolutely at work and, and moving in our culture. I am not, I'm not confident it's going to turn out with some Hallmarkian channel happy ending when it's all said and done. But the idea that, have you, don't you think it's weird every time we put our trust in some new human or some new human movement, we find out that they blank. You know what I'm saying? You ever know have, have it? have Aren't you exhausted with being disappointed in people? Are you disapp- Are you exhausted with this, Todd? Ha- uh. Um, hasn't there been like depending a
0: depending on the day? Yeah. Hasn't
2: there been a, just like a, a a laundry list of this the last few years? Yeah. Boy, that is to me. I think that's the sign of providence. The stripping bare of false idols. A jealous God who won't share His glory with another. Every human initiative and institution we have created with our own hands and even with our best of intentions to save us from what we can clearly see is coming around the bend has all been smashed right in front of us like the temple to Dagon the fish demon god like the temple to Artemis and Diana in Ephesus like the temples to Saturn and Jupiter and Zeus that don't exist anymore and just gather moss. I think we're watching that happen right now. Now, I, I am not confident this is going to end with some Pax Americana. It might. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to just, if it's not negative, then I'm not going to buy that either. I'm not going to be exact, guilty of exactly what I just said. But while it may not end the way we humanly think or hope, I believe that a God who would not even spare his own son for us will work this all out for our good, even if we don't see it or understand it at the time.
0: I would just say uh, when you get to this point, uh, it's time to remind yourself of uh, your uh, book of Job. Job. And if, if there wasn't wide reason to believe that it was uh, the earliest book of the Bible to be written, it certainly makes sense that it uh, uh, was because right there it reminds a man uh, like Job his place in the Word. This is a very Job-like question you're asking. And while Job stood there uh, in front of his uh, friends, even his wife, and, uh, and simply would not um, concede that this is uh, anything that he uh, uh, had done or that God was not uh, ultimately good. Uh, part of this deal with Job is ultimately God uh, bringing Job uh, to the point where even a man like him uh, made sure that he understood his own uh, feet of clay because all the while, while he's, he's defending God and saying, I didn't do anything wrong. He's still asking that question. Why do I even exist? What's the point of all this then? And at the end of it, you get to it and God says a version of shut your hole yeah. and know your role. I got this. So you're in a Job-like place right now and that's okay. Um, but um, time to hold on tight and really hand the reins over to that. Hey, man, we, uh, every one of us. Uh, has a problem doing that on a daily basis in ways both big and small. Um, but that's what you got to do, because if you know your Old Testament outside of Job, uh, inside and out, um, it often gets a lot worse than we have now. Hey, listen, we got all these complaints. that I mean, Really, that we are in dire straits right now, but it's Friday right now. I'm going to go home. I got family coming in town. I'm going to drink some cold beer. Um, I've got a, you know, we're going to, we do things that we want to still on the weekends. Yep. We still have these trappings. You you
2: know why we do that? For the same reason that Job facing a list of more money, more problems we can't even fathom. Yes. In the midst of it when confronted with that word from God. Yeah. I know my Redeemer lives, yeah. and the Lord giveth, and the Lord yeah. taketh away. Blessed be the name yeah. of the Lord. And
0: we still have a lot of giveth. There's those, a lot more those, that can be taken. Those
2: Christians in the first—those those Jewish believers in Jesus who faced Hadrian, who faced Titus, who faced Nero, who faced Claudius, yeah. who faced those persecutions, you know what they still did? They still got married. They still— uh, uh, pleasured their husbands and pleasured their wives and made and, and raised babies they still enjoyed feasts and festivals amidst the persecution of anything they might have enjoyed them even more right they still lived their lives why because jesus lives that's why they still lived that's kind of what you're, that, that's kind of well, what you're saying yeah.
0: and, and the lord wants to know when when will at which time will we stop saying here i stand i can do no other mm-hmm. um there's a lot more testing to be done in this culture,
1: yeah, and always reminding yourself that this uh, this this world and this life is a not all there is, and B you're here for but a vapor of time as well. So living um, in in light of um, the reality of eternity is something that can be challenging to do, especially when what confronts you and what's smacked in your face every single day it seems like there's no hope for there's uh it seems as you stated that god is not working uh it is it's difficult to do and todd's absolutely right to to, to say that this is a daily challenge but living in light of eternity again that kind of sounds like a cliche phrase but there's it's it's something we need to remind ourselves every day because when you live like there is not only tomorrow but there's the rest of time in fact you're going to be around uh when there is no more what we call time it really makes the united states and politics and washington dc and culture fade away not that that stuff is not important that's why we do a freaking show every day because it is important but it's not the most important thing
2: one final note very well said aaron Todd, both of you. Uh, Matthew Trant, final note for today, says, uh, I've moved from listening and not liking you guys to a true fan of other programming. Well, that's good. Oh, boy. We wear on people like asbestos, like a fungus. We, we
1: aim won't. like stormtroopers to please. <laughs>
2: nice. He writes, I, you know, I'd like to get your question, uh, get you guys' answer to a question I have from Scripture. How do you determine when a moment on Twitter or a current event political battle is a Proverbs 26 4 or 26 5 moment? So, what is Proverbs 26 4 and 26 5? Well, basically, it says um, answering a fool in his folly makes you one, essentially. That's what it says.
0: The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, we always say, if you're not sure, the answer is no. Okay? Like you're not if you're not sure am I you know, is this a good use of my time? If you don't know right away, then the answer is no, it's not. All right. So, if you're if you're asking, if you're at the point that asking yourself am I am I if I reached the moment where I have become like the very fool I am addressing, then uh, walk away, the answer is yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's why you're asking yourself that because you're not sure. Right? So the answer is no, don't engage any longer. But really, the, the scripture, I think, answers the question in and of itself. Can you address controversies from unbelievers without becoming like them? That's it. And what I mean by becoming like them, I, I don't mean using colloquialisms euphemisms expressions cultural lingo or language except obviously in cases of clear and extreme uses of of, of that, that profane your witness what i mean by that is can you engage them without succumbing to the impulses that drive them not that you're like not of this earth. I mean, you're you're in the earth, but you're not of it. It's, you know, so I, I don't mean that you don't you can't relate to them any longer. Can but relating to people is one thing. Becoming them is another. And your level of obsession with this earthly question. Are you emulating that obsession? If so, why? What did Aaron just pointed out, in the grand scheme of things, America is exceptional. Also, in the grand scheme of things, in light of eternity, irrelevant. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's the old C.S. Lewis line, aim for heaven to get earth thrown in, aim for earth to get neither. Okay, That's not, We're not right-wing social justice warriors. We're not going to do the, the, the opposite of that. So it's the same answer to this question as any other. Can I engage, confront, affect? serve, love, all of those things can go together. Can I do that with unbelievers in this situation without people, if they didn't know me and they saw me with these unbelievers, would think I'm actually one of them and not one of the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what the boundary is, whether it's Twitter or anything else.
1: Yesterday on the uh, TV show, after the first segment, we talked about Trump's comments on, uh, on Air Force One um, and he's made so many comments about Kim Jong Un now. I'm, I can't even remember which one it was, but it was really, really bad. All I, oh, I remember that. And I, I gave some advice. You know, don't defend this. Don't, don't, don't try to fluff or explain this. this is just bad. And I said, and it's probably accurate. Those watching the show I probably don't need that advice. So I, I gave this advice instead. Don't even engage with those who are defending mm. these these words. Twice yesterday afternoon. Twice. I was, this, literally, I had the tweet written out. I had the the, the, the tweet that I was responding to pasted into, the, into the, the dialogue box on Twitter where I was not going to follow my own advice that I had just given a few hours before. <laughs> I hate when I do that a lot. I do, but I do that, too. Yesterday, fortunately, I was like, oh, yeah, didn't I just say not to do this, like, two hours ago? Um... But, yeah, no, ask ask yourself what your motivation is, practically. If you're getting ready to send a tweet, and you're not going to be perfect at this, nobody is. If you're getting ready to respond to somebody, ask yourself what the motivation is. My motivation twice yesterday was, it's going to make me feel good by putting this idiot down. There was no larger point that I was going to make.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, fortunately, I caught myself in those two situations, Sometimes I don't, especially if, you, if I see something first thing in the morning on Twitter, um, that, that's a moment when sometimes I don't catch myself. Ask yourself, if you can remember in the moment, what's my motivation for saying this or tweeting this or posting this?
2: I mean, the same Paul that says to his protege, Timothy, to be edifying and encouraging when rebuking the brethren, also... Or even unbelievers also looks at a heretic and calls him a son of the devil so how do we reconcile those things well what's going on in Paul's heart when when Paul rebukes the false teacher as a son of the devil is this just because he wants to own the libs or is this a moment where this false teacher is existentially threatening the spiritual condition of the people God has called Paul to reach and it requires it requires a smack across the face it requires a lashing and people are being, people are succumbing to this and they need to be, they need to be awakened by something provocative and at that particular point in time, please and thank you ain't going to do it right so what's the, so what's the motivation to? Always check your motivations. Is your motivation like when Aaron was talking about? Do I want to own the libs? Do I want to own Colt forty-five? Or, or am I so? You know,
0: who's going to get glorified by this is really the question we're asking. This is where I was going to go with this. I'll just say simply: in order to be as efficacious as possible uh, with this uh, kind of battle, you need to be every bit as aware of your own idols as everybody else's.
2: I guess I could have just said that and saved everybody about three and, and a half minutes. Son of a gun, that Todd! Really come gun. on so now, you suck, Todd. That's
0: great and don't you
2: guys so that's the catholic just uh, did sola scriptura better than me and I'm going home to cut myself now I'm going back to DC where I never have to say I'm sorry or I'm never wrong
1: yeah Todd just owned the prots he
0: just he just <laughs> owned the, the prots, the prots. <laughs> sola scriptura to own the prots just trying to keep that most protestant catholic ever street cried out there yeah
2: well done. Hey, thanks everybody for your notes and your feedback this week. Uh, for putting up uh, when letting Todd and Aaron entertain you while I was gone, I'm sure they did a great job. You know, I don't ever listen when I'm gone, so I don't have to either admit if you're better than me or criticize you if you're not. I get plausible deniability.
0: I'll only say this: Jim Jordan might not be taking your calls anymore. Well, you know, I, don't, I didn't really days. know him that well okay. in the first
2: place. So, have a great weekend until Monday. John three seventeen.
0: This is Steve Dace. I'm